0: Today is, our, is the third Sunday of Advent. So in the third Sunday of Advent, it's the pink candle, right? Um, so we wear pink uh, or rose because people like to try and make it sound better than it is. Um, but it's a day of rejoicing, right? Uh, because we're, close. we're we're getting closer and closer and closer uh, to our, our Christmas celebration. Um, we're a week away, which is great and amazing and beautiful. Um, during this Advent season, what we've been doing is, is uh, we've been reflecting the last few weeks on who Jesus is. Right. Um, a couple of weeks ago, we we talked about how Jesus is real. First week of Advent. Last week, we talked about how Jesus is present. Um, and as we've been as we've been kind of doing this and 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 pray as I've been praying through this and and kind of reflecting, I think the next word that continues to just kind of jump out that just is coming to the surface um, is Jesus is merciful. Uh, so what I, I, I'm going to use a story you may, you may have heard it before. Uh, I know I've used it in a couple of different talks. I've used it. Uh, for basically every first first reconciliation service I probably have ever done. Um, but it, but I think it elicits the point. When I was a kid, uh, so growing up, we were ballpark people, right? Um, played baseball, my dad was one of the dads that would go to the ballpark in the off-season, before season would start, and they would, like, mow the grass and paint the lines and, like, make sure all the dirt was right and everything was good, and, like, kind of take care of the fields, right? Like, get them up into to playing condition. Um well, what now would happen, is, is, that what would happen is, is that a couple of dads would get together, um, a couple of the coaches, right? And then the, all of us, the sons, we would go out with them and we would just go ride our bike around the, around the ballpark and cut up and get in trouble and do dumb stuff, right? Um, so when we were riding our bikes, I, I, I'll never forget this, it was, it was before the season started. We're riding our bikes around the ballpark and we come around the corner and there's like a gravel parking lot. And this gravel parking lot, they had dropped off a big rock pile. And they were the plan was it's like to redo the, the parking lot well they hadn't done it and we saw a rock pile so the first thing that came to our mind when we saw it was ah I'm climbing that right so all of us, like it was like three or four of us, we, we, we jump off our bikes, we run up, we, we go on top of the rock pile, we're playing king of the mountain, throwing each other down, we start throwing rocks at each other, we start throwing rocks at like the signs and stuff around. We're basically just being little boys, doing what little boys do, right? Bunch of nine-year-old boys, getting in trouble, fighting, playing, roughhousing, it was great. We had a blast. At one point, we look across the parking lot, and we see that there is a white flatbed work truck that had been parked there. Now, this white flatbed work truck, the, the front half was white. The back half was just flat, right? Big, like it was one of those old kind of farm trucks, right? And as we were standing there, we, now, now we started with a competition. We said, what you need to do is, is the goal was is to take a rock to throw it and to get a rock to land on the flatbed of the truck. And this thing was like 50, feet 50 yards away from us. So, like, we're lobbing it and trying to, like, shoot it. It's Kobe before Kobe, right? Like, we're doing all this stuff. We're playing and we're doing our thing. Until one of my buddies, standing on top of this rock pile, we're throwing these rocks, he looks at me, and he said the the, the scariest words for a nine-year-old to hear. I dare you. Because when someone looks at a nine-year-old, when a nine-year-old looks at another nine-year-old and says, I dare you, there's two things that happen there. Number one, the next words out of their mouth is a bad idea, right? And the second thing is, is whoever is the recipient of the statement, I dare you, cannot say no. So my buddy looks at me and he says, I dare you to hit the front half of the truck, to hit the cab of the truck. And I said, absolutely. So I reach down on this big rock pile. I find the perfect rock. It's like aerodynamically sound. I'm like doing a trig problem in my mind, trying to figure out what's the, what's the velocity, like all this kind of stuff. Well, those physics. But anyway, like I'm sitting there doing this, like trying to figure out how am I going to hit it. I take the rock. I lean back. I throw it. It's going through the air. It's tracking. It's perfect. I don't know if the wind or something picked up, but all of a sudden it's tracking off a little bit. Oh, no. Watch out. Psh. Passenger side window shatters. And I remember there's this like this moment of like disbelief for a second. What did I just do? The next second, I looked and my friends disappeared. I don't know what happened. (laughs) So now I'm standing on top of a rock pile, staring at a broken window that I just threw the rock at, standing on top of a mountain of evidence. And I can honestly say, I don't know if I've, at that point in my life, I don't know if I, I had ever felt more alone. I just did something wrong. The people that were right there that were egging me on, that were all excited, that we were all having fun with, are gone, because they don't want to associate with somebody that did wrong. They don't want to get in trouble by association, right? So they bail out. And I'm by myself. Now, Whether I have a feeling that all of us at some point have done something wrong. And if, if you haven't, then I want to shake your hand and I want to talk to you after because congrats, right? But I got a feeling all of us at some point have done something wrong, number one. And number two, have had that feeling before. The disbelief of something sitting right in front of me that I just did, that I'm sorry for, that I wish wouldn't have happened, that if I could go back ten seconds, it wouldn't, but I can't take it back. And it did happen. And I feel isolated and alone. This is a normal experience for all of us. I think that's the, the... there's a there's a key thing here right like i think every one of us at some point have experienced this and if we're on if, if, and honestly like it's even like ingrained in our scripture and in our faith and in our tradition that like this is a real thing because this is what sin does to us sin isolates us sin makes us feel like we're by ourselves sin makes us freak out and realize that no one's around us Sin accuses us of something that has happened. Sin elicits guilt that I wish it wouldn't have happened. Sin makes a lot of regret come up that I wish if I could just go back a little bit, a a couple of days, a couple of hours, a couple of minutes, if I could just go back a little bit, then maybe I wouldn't have done that. Sin causes all these things in an instant. And while for a nine-year-old, it might be the end of the world if that sin is breaking a window, as we get older, those sins get a little bit more complicated. And those <clears> sins might have other people involved. Might be unkind words. Use of images. Misuse of different resources. But sin in and of itself is, is isolated. We see it in Scripture. Third chapter of the Bible. God creates the world. In the first chapter of the Bible, you know, like let there be light, all that kind of stuff. Then we hear about what happens after he creates, right? That we hear Adam and Eve are there, and they're, they're given everything. They're given the entire world. They have everything at their fingertips. They have all the food that they can imagine. They have all of the resources that they need. They have the life in their, they, they have life that has been breathed in them. They have an ongoing intimate relationship with God where they're talking to him like they are walking around a garden together. And chapter 3, they fall. They're given one rule and they can't keep it. And because they eat an apple, because they eat the fruit of a tree that they were asked not to eat of, what's the first thing that we hear? Their eyes were opened and they hid. Because sin is isolating. nine year old kid right I throw the rock window breaks friends disappear evidence under my feet like the whole nine what happens the first thing I did I took I got on my bike and I just took off right i I didn't know where I was going I just went right to the farthest corner of the field like the farthest corner of the raceland ballpark that I could possibly find I parked my bike and I just hid for a little bit hopefully nobody saw me hopefully nobody can find me if they did see me let me just hide here for a second and just just freak out right and be afraid and just fear comes in and regret comes in and 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 trying to figure out how i'm going to get out of this and how i'm going to lie my way out of it and what i'm going to say and what i'm going to do and my goodness if my dad finds out oh my lord i'm not going to sit down right like all of those kind of things are just running through my head that's adam and eve they hide because of their guilt, their shame, what happens is they hide. They're imprisoned in their own regret. They're imprisoned in their own guilt. They're imprisoned in their own sin. Because sin is isolating. When we think about, the, the, in, in terms of, of what we've been walking through this Advent, when we think about who Jesus is, that Jesus is real, that Jesus is present, I, I, I want to suggest that we, we need to reflect on God's mercy. <coughs> and we, can, we don't have to look very far. Our readings today do a really good job. And, and our first reading in particular does a really good job of kind of hinting at and pointing at what the reality of God's mercy so the prophet Isaiah is, is before Christ. The prophet Isaiah is talking about the coming Messiah. He's, talking, he's prophesying, right? A prophet is someone who has been given a message by God and has been sent out to proclaim that message to a certain people. And Isaiah is saying, Israel, your king is coming. Like, Je- like, like your king, the Messiah, is coming. They don't know that this is going to be Jesus. They don't know exactly how it's going to look. But they know that your king is coming. And this is what the prophet Isaiah says in today's, in today's first reading. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because the Lord has anointed me, the Lord has given me this message, and He has sent me to bring glad tidings to the poor, to heal the brokenhearted, to proclaim liberty to captives and release to the prisoners. Sin is isolating. Sin imprisons us. Sin enslaves us to things of this world. And what Isaiah is doing is is Isaiah is saying, no, 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 no. That your king is coming. He's going to come to break those chains, to release you, to free you from the prison, to free you from captivity. That your king is coming to open up and to forgive you. So be on watch. And be ready when it's time. Isaiah knew the story of Adam and Eve. Isaiah knew that they were isolated. Isaiah knew that they had fallen. Isaiah knew that their whole, the whole promise of the Old Testament is that God is going to make right what Adam and Eve broke. And this is the faith that we proclaim. I think it begs the question to us, why on earth did God decide To send Jesus. Like, if we believe that Jesus is real, we believe that Jesus is present, then then why on earth did God seem like it seems like almost a waste of time to come to the people that He had created and it was only two of them and they fell? Why would He want to redeem them? Why would He want to fix that? What was the purpose of Jesus coming? Jesus had one mission. It was very, very simple. Uh, We we can think about Jesus, and we can think about, if somebody asked you, what was the reason that Jesus came? You could sit there and think, well, it's for him to preach some really good homilies. (laughs) Really good sermons. We We got a bunch of words from him, right? The golden rule, the beatitudes, there's some good stuff in there. We could hear that maybe it was to, to make some, somebody that was crippled walk, or to heal a leper, or to make somebody that couldn't hear or couldn't see get their senses back. Maybe it was to raise the dead, because Lazarus, I know, is pretty, pretty excited about it, right? Like I'm sure that there's a lot of reasons why we could point to in the Scripture of what Jesus did. Jesus came for one reason, to forgive sins. That is the reason why Jesus came. That is the reason why God saw it fit to send His Son into the world, for the forgiveness of sins. There's no other reason. Everything else he did pointed to building a covenant, building a family, all those things, because he wanted to redeem you and I. He wanted to forgive the sins we have committed, the ways in which we have fallen short, the ways in which we have imprisoned ourselves and fallen into captivity. Liberty to captives. Freedom to prisoners. That was Jesus' purpose for coming. We know this. We see this when we come to Mass. Like the words that we hear when we come to Mass. Take this, all of you, and eat it, for this is my body, which will be given up for you. This is my part, by the way, right? Take this, all of you, and drink from it, for this is the chalice of my blood, the blood of the new and everlasting covenant, which will be poured out for you and for many. Why? For the forgiveness of sins. Hard stop. The most important words in the Mass say why Jesus came. When we go to confession, God the Father of mercies, this doesn't count, by the way, all right? God the Father of mercies through the death and resurrection of His Son has reconciled the world to himself and poured out the Holy Spirit. Why? For the forgiveness of sins. The entire history, all the history that we celebrate, all the Bible that we have, everything from the moment of creation, the moment from the fall everything that happens after that is for one reason, for you and I to experience God's forgiveness. How how tragic it is that God is offering His forgiveness and so many don't want to accept it. How, how, how tragic it can be that God offers us everything. He offers us a, a, a completely new clean slate. He offers us uh, a, the, the liberty of captives and the freedom from, from prison, right? Like He offers us to be wiped clean of every fault that we have ever experienced. And I don't want to go because I'm only that priest. Or I don't want to go because it just freaks me out. I, I, I know I, as a priest, I, there were, when I was in the seminary, we would talk about like what we wanted to do and how we, how excited we were. And it was always the, you have a glass of bourbon, I mean, a uh, soda. And um, we're, we're sitting around at night, like all talking and hanging out and visiting. And like somebody's like, what you can't wait to do as a priest. And, and somebody says, oh, I can't wait to celebrate the mass. Can't wait to do weddings. Can't wait to do this. Can't wait to do that. I never dreamed that, that confession would be as amazing as it is. Because there are a few things that heal. There are a few things that that have an eternal consequence in a powerful personal way than a confession. When I hear somebody walk into confession and say, it's been 30 years since my last confession, that is music to my ears. (laughs) Because the people that that need God's mercy most are the people that have stayed away from it and have been afraid of it. The, the interesting thing about uh, so back to me, nine years old, just broke a window hiding at the Raceland Ballpark. Um, I remember I looked across the I looked across the, uh, the, the 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 ballpark right, and I could see my dad and the other dads were wrapping up. So I ride my bike over, and none of the guys the other guys had ratted me out because if they ratted me out, I was gonna be like, well, he dared me, and then we were all gonna get in trouble. So we all kind of like, without saying anything, made this little pact that no one was gonna say a word, <laughs> right? All right, we say goodbye, we do all this kind of stuff, put the bike in the back of the truck, let's get on our way home. And I am sitting in the car thinking, I got away with it. (laughs) Like, man, I I don't have to say anything. I could get away with it. And it just was eating me up. (laughs) And I remember we we pulled into our driveway, and my dad, before we get out of the car, I looked at my dad and I said, Dad, I got to tell you something. He's like, "What's up?" I said. We were playing, and so be- and so debt and you know, so and so dared me, and then this and this, and, and I threw it, and I think there was a wh- puff of wind or something, said, whatever. But like, I'm coming up with all the excuses. and I'm like, I threw a rock and I broke the window. And I remember once I said it, like I winced because I was waiting for the right hand of justice to come flying across, right? But like, just for a moment, I just winced, I freaked out, and he was like, <clears throat> he just stopped for a second. He looked at me and said. Go straight to your room. Walk into my room. Sit down. Now it's like I'm in solitary confinement. Like now I'm now I'm waiting for like the door to fly open. And then both his right hand, right foot, mom's belt, like the whole nine coming after me with the with all the justice. Um but for a second I just like kind of sat there. And about twenty minutes later, he comes up to me, he he opens the door and he looks at me and says, Me and your mom went. We patched up the window. We left our number. The guy just called. Everything's going to be all right. And I'm like, I'm still waiting. I'm like, Ann, How much am I punished, right? How much trouble am I in? And he looked at me and he said, buddy, you never have to be afraid to tell me when something messed up. I'm not saying that to like canonize my dad. But that—that's the way that the Lord works with us when we seek His mercy. God's gentle; we're harsh. God—God's loving; we're, we're the ones that tend to—to—to—to to, to, um, to be short with someone. This week, in our diocese, as we do every Advent and Lent we have the opportunity confession confessions available at every church. So Wednesday night, the light is on, 6 o'clock to 8 o'clock at every church. We'll start at 6 o'clock, we'll end whenever, right? But confession's going to be available. If you have not gone in a while, and by a while, that might mean a week, in a while, that might mean a, a, a year, a while, that might mean 30, 40, 50 years, fine. Because if Jesus is real, and because if Jesus is present, Jesus is also merciful. If Jesus is real, he, has real, he really wants to know what's your stuff, where you are. If Jesus is present, he doesn't want to be left at arm's distance. He wants to be with you and you with him. That's how he wants you to live. And if he's merciful, and if you truly believe that Jesus is real, that he is present, that he is who he says he is, that he came to do what he said he came to do, then he has won your forgiveness. So accept the gift that he has for. Me. Tonight as we come to confe- as we con- confession, uh, tonight as we come to mass, right? We, we, we come to experience a real, a loving, a true, a present, a merciful God who's continually offering himself to you. And tonight as we come to receive him, we also be compelled to, to, to ask for His mercy. Jesus is real. He is present. He wants to free you from your prisons of sin. He wants to liberate you from the captivity of guilt. And he wants to express his mercy to you.